have Pastor Steve Graham here all the way from Auckland. And um, I know that Steve's got a word in season for us. Steve, uh, he leads Equippers College. Um, so that's kind of the, uh, the training arm of our church up in Auckland. And, uh, and yeah, I, I know that he's, um, he's a great teacher, but he also brings something prophetic. And I know that he's going to speak into the life of our church. So can we be upstanding and can we uh, be welcoming and open to Steve this morning? Awesome. Thanks, man. No, no. Cool. It's great to be here. Grab a seat. Man, what a... Uh, I've forgotten what a beautiful place Timaru is. I sound more convinced than you. Like, it's like, been here for... Yeah, because it was r- raining Friday, Saturday. It's like, you, with all these visitors coming in, it's like, you didn't want them to know. Otherwise, everyone might want to come here, eh? But then to, they've all gone now, so now you turn on the sunshine. So, man, driving uh, just to coming here... Because I grew up in um, Taranaki, and it's like, oh, there you, there you can be at the beach and look up and see snow-covered mountain, but suddenly driving down, it's like, oh, this is the other place in New Zealand you can be looking down at the bay, and, but you got more impressive mountain range than us, so, um, so we, yeah, we lived in Christchurch for 15 years up till five, uh, five and a half years ago, so we actually had a couple of summer holidays when our kids were little in Timaru, so this was our, this was our holiday destination as well. So, um, yeah, so it's great to be here. It's a, I've forgotten what a beautiful um, city it is. So, and, and, man, it's great to be at your church. What a great, um, what a great environment and great church. So it's a real um, pleasure to be here. Uh, hopefully we're going to have a PowerPoint that works. Otherwise, I'm in big trouble. So is that going to work? Yeah, okay. Because um, I want to talk about, um, I want to talk about uh, faith kind of faith that reflects something of the character of God. And it was so good singing the song, kind of about a good, good father. So just a bit of an introduction, if you flick up the next one. So this is my family. So um, it's my son's wedding last year. So I, I feel like I look a bit like the mafia godfather <laughs> in there. But the rest of them all look nice and pleasant, eh? So um, it's my wife and two daughters and granddaughter. Uh, and so... Um, just another, just a couple of photos to show. So next one, it's my family. So my two of my kids and my mother live in Christchurch. So that was us around here, 80th. Next one, um, this is my wife. She's the, she's the fit one of our family. So she does all this running. I just carry her bags and stuff. Um, but uh, next one. But I wanted to, I would just to, um, last year I took my, my son got married and I took his wedding and I had one of the most kind of bizarre and profound supernatural experiences in my life in the middle of taking his wedding. So if you know uh, weddings, the key moment is when the person officiating goes, I now pronounce you husband and wife. So I, they must have had a song or something because I must have been standing back and uh, walking up to do this moment. Like, I'm just to pronounce my son, you now pronounce your husband and wife. And I have a flashback to the moment that he's born. Uh, but I, it was more than just psychological. It felt kind of spiritual because he, he my wife had to have an emergency cesarean, so she was kind of whisked out of the room. I'm there standing, terrified in this room, like, am I ever going to see my wife and my baby? Because it was a kind of crisis. And then half an hour later, this, this is the flashback. This nurse walks in and hands me this little baby boy. And I'm just like, literally, I'm in this church, just about to go, I now pronounce you husband and wife, and I have a flashback to the moment that he's handed to me as a little baby. But it actually wasn't a flashback because it wasn't, um, it wasn't um, what I felt at the time. It was almost like I saw what that moment could have been and should have been to be handed a new life 
and, and receive it and to value and honor. But in my own brokenness of my own journey, I actually wasn't a great dad the first few years. And but it was like I suddenly saw what it was like to be handed a little life and, um, and what that moment was about. And then I kind of look up and go, and I now pronounce you husband and wife. And I'm a, it's a bit kind of stunned, like stepping back because I was like, man, what was that about? And I, and I just felt God kind of pronounce this word over my son's like, oh, success. And it's like, oh, despite, I might not have been a great dad the first few years, and, and we were missionaries, so he came back as an eight-year-old, and uh, we came back, he, was, uh, he really struggled with adjustment, and late teens, he kind of enrolled at university, but then dropped out, struggled with depression and stuff. And so there were some difficult years, but it's like in this moment, this whole journey, God was pronouncing success. He was now in a good place, connected with God. He's working as a youth pastor. He's marrying this beautiful uh, young woman. If you flick up the next one. So this was um, next one. So this is him when he's little in the Philippines. And now this is him as a youth pastor in a big Baptist church in Christchurch. But it's like God was kind of going just, yeah, life had been a success for him even up to that stage. And... Um, yeah, and, and oh man, I was just a sobbing mess the rest of the wedding trying to do, and the reception, because it's like, man, as a dad, when God showed me that, like, oh yeah, my son's life, he just pronounced success on it. Um, and so I want, actually, when I was praying about coming here, it's a shame. Are you recording this? Yeah, because um, when I was praying about coming here, Dave, it's a shame Mayor's not here, but I felt God was doing the same to you guys. He was just pronouncing success over you and I'm sure there's been some dark years and dark things but it's but like my son you know from the beginning to this moment now it's like success and God's pronouncing success it's a good um, thing and but you know I want to I want to talk about that man it's a bit of a tender service thing uh, I want to talk about this thing of because uh, I believe God actually wants to pronounce success on all of our lives and but uh, you know what does that look like what does that mean uh if you flick up the next one next one um, you know, because Psalm 1 just says down the bottom, the person, blessed is one who doesn't do this, but the person who delights in God, that person's like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in the season, whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers or succeeds or flourishes or fruitful. And there's this promise in God that if we pursue God, actually he does pronounce success on our life. And the word prosper then, it just... Some people don't like it because it's associated with extremes and stuff, but it's like, no, God causes our lives to go well, to flourish. There might, there might be some dark periods, but I want to tell you, and, and I feel we're going to land here, if you're, if you're in a season when you're not in that time, hey, we've all been there, but I want to tell you it's not over, and God wants to come, his, if you're not in that place like where my son was, I pronounce success. If you're not in the stage where I feel like, David Mara, where God pronounces success. I'm telling you, keep going. And this morning, God wants to comfort you. Because we can tell you, we've all been through some dark years. But, but if you're in that, you know, if you're in the tunnel, keep going. It's not over. If you, we all walk through the valley, but the point is keep walking through it. It's not your destination. And I think the key, what, what does it mean that, what does success look like? Um, if, next one. If, um, uh, you know, God. Jesus, when he taught us to pray, our Father in heaven, the first thing, hallowed be your name, and name refers to character, and it's like, 
Everything comes from, un, from your understanding of the character of God. Because almost that defines what successful life looks like. That defines what successful church looks like. That defines everything about it. And next one, if, um, and Jesus summed it up with this idea, actually, what is the character of God? He's a father. That was so cool that we sung, you're a good, good father. Now I feel like I'm home amongst a group of friends having a chat about some good things, which is very cool. But um, So I, re- I really want to pa- unpack that. Well, like, what does success look like if everything is defined that we worship God, a God who's a good father? Because uh, I want to encourage you, I, and I'll share some, some struggles that we've been through, that you're headed towards a place where, when the father's stamp on your life is success in a whole lot of areas. Um, and um, look up the next one. The, um, there's a particular chapter that I want to focus on, and it's, there's, in a sense, there's nothing new in this, um, but it's Luke chapter 15 is probably, for me, one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. Uh, I was talking about this in Switzerland last week, actually, saying, you know, they say if you're on a desert island, what couple of books would you take? And so I was kind of thinking, if I was on a desert island and you allowed one chapter of the Bible, what would you, I think I'd take Luke 15. Because it summarizes everything about who God is and what he's like and, and kind of his agenda. And the context is Jesus is eating with these, these tax collectors and sinners and the religious people don't like it. They're muttering, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Next one. And in response to that, Jesus tells three parables. Parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. And, and in this whole thing, he's setting up this contrast between here... This is what life looks like when you understand God as Father. Versus this is religion, which just sucks the life out of you. And, 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 and so this is, I want to say, this is defined, this is what success looks like. These components, that all flow into our lives when we understand God as a good Father. Versus the substitute of religion that will never cause you to flourish, that will never give you success, that will, you'll never find life. So um, next one, I, I just want to talk about four dimensions of a faith that reflects the character of God. And I want to say that in terms of our connection with God, it's going to be marked by an intimate worship. There's going to be a sense of connection. You know, by our relationships with each other, it's going to be marked just by joyful celebration. We're going to have fun together. We're going to enjoy each other's company. We're going to have good, positive relationships. In terms of people who are not part of what we're doing, we're actually going to be focused in compassion for them because we'll want them to come back into relationship. And, and in terms of ourselves, we'll kind of have this self-respect kind of thing. And I think, you know, for my son, I was like, yeah, he's got a con- that thing, success. He's got this connection with God. He's got this, we've got good relationships with him. He's marrying this beautiful young woman. He's got good, uh, in terms of mis- mission and ministry, he's got a sense of purpose in life. And, it, and, I, and I think he just feels good about himself now. And God goes, that's success. See, I, that's, that's quite, that's success. doesn't matter how much money in the bank, doesn't matter, whatever. He knows God, he's got good relationships, he's got a sense of purpose and mission, and he, and he feels, he just feels right about himself. And it's like, that's success. So let's, is it right? So we'll, I just want to have a look at that. So the first one, next one, intimate worship. So next one, if you know the story, uh, the prodigal son, he goes off, does all these things. It just says, so he got up, went to his father. This While he was still a long way off, his father saw him, was filled with compassion for him, ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. It's like, this is the absolute foundation. You believe in a God whose heart reaches out to you, runs to you, throws his arms around you and embraces you. 
It's like, oh, here's the core of it. Um, Next one. Uh, Interesting, I was reading an article by a Jewish writer who said, Christians often think, oh, this was a radical, different understanding of God. He's like, no, no, we always believe this about God. Because if you go right back to Exodus, when uh, Moses asked to see the glory of God, and God said, uh, my goodness will pass in front of you. And this is the first thing, the Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious. For Jewish faith, yeah, no, God's compassionate. God's compassionate. Even this morning, God's compassionate for you. If you're struggling, God's compassionate for you. He's not far off like, where's God? I'm struggling. I don't even know. No, God's compassionate for you. And, um, and next one. And, and even, the, I don't know, the, the, they mentioned this thing, if you know the story, when Jacob ran away, tricked, um, finally comes home. He's worried what Esau was going to do to his brother. Just says this, Esau ran to meet him and embraced him, threw his arms around him and kissed him. It's like, that's the language of God. What God did in Luke 15. This is what a brother did to another brother. But Esau's response is really interesting. Next one. He says this. Oh, Jacob says, enough. I found favor with you. Please accept this gift from me. What a relief to see your friendly face. It's like seeing the face of God. And one way you can read that like, oh, like he's just, you know, big language. Type. But actually the other way is like, no, no. The way that you treated me, it was like I saw the face of God. How did he treat a brother who ran to him, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. It's like, Esau, in that moment, I, ex- I experienced what it was like to meet God. That's what it's like. You know, and, and if you go back, uh, no, no, go forward on the PowerPoint, which is going back in the chapter. When I, Jacob's praying about this meeting, he said, come on, God, you promised I will treat you kindly. I'm not worthy of all the unfailing love and faithfulness you've shown me. And next one, and he repeats the thing. I will surely treat you kindly. He's like, God, I know what you're like. Kindness, unfailing love, faithfulness. He's like, Esau, the way that you treated me, it was like, that's what it's like to meet God. I encounter kindness. I encounter faithfulness. I encounter committed love. And it's like, man, who cares about the money in the bank, the car, the state? If if I have connection with this kind of God, um, my life's flourishing. My life's good. I'm a, my life's successful. Uh, next one. He, um, so this is like, oh, this was the model of, of what it's like to meet God. Next one. As we said, it's like seeing the face of God. Next one. And, and this is the kind of language, even the parable of the lost sheep. Like when he finds it, he holds it tight, puts it on his shoulders, holds it. There's something about God that's like so glad to get hold of our life and hold on to us and just wants to hold us close out because he's for and he loves us. And it's like, man, that's success when I know a God who just embraces me, holds me close, holds on to me, loves me, has compassion for me, is for me, is with me. It's like, man, that's a win in life. What more would you want? Uh, next one. The, the, the contrast is the elder brother. So you get in, in this. Remember the, the incident? There's Pharisees. No, there's tax collectors and sinners who are experiencing God or Jesus reaching out to them. There's, tax, there's Pharisees and teachers of the law who are judging it. And Jesus is like, this is too different. Well, you don't want to live like this. You want to live like this. And this is the, this is the older brother represents this side. All these years I've been slaving for you and I've never disobeyed your orders. What a terrible way to live. Like the father is, he's like, I just want a relationship. This guy's like, oh no, it's all about obeying orders and slaving and, do, and doing. There's no hint of any connection. There's no hint of any relationship. And it's like, this is success when it's like, 
man, I just know God. I know He's for me. I know He's with me. I feel His compassion. I, I know that He cares for me. So, man, I don't want to live on this side where that's religion, just slaving for God, never, but never, no sense of connection, no sense of relationship. Next one. Uh, in contrast to this, knowing a father who's filled with compassion ran to his son through. So even this morning to go, oh, God, God takes the initiative. God watches me and is compassionate about the things I'm struggling with. His heart goes out to me. He runs to me, throws his arms around me, and kisses me. Next one. This whole thing of compassion, actually the other main parable in Luke that we know is the story of the Good Samaritan. And again, it's a, the good guy motivation is compassion. So this is a broken person. Remember the guy, he has compassion on him. He went to him, bandaged his wounds, looks after him. It's like, if you're lost, God has compassion for you and he runs to you to embrace you. If you're broken, God has compassion to you. He runs to you and you break. I don't know where you're at today, but whatever your issue, God's response is compassion. If you're broken, he comes to you to heal you. If you're lost, he comes to you to restore you. But wherever you are, he's coming to you. And it's like, man, that's success if I know that God. That's the thing I want to know. That's the thing Timaru needs to know about. That kind of God. Next one. Um, and it's like, oh, yeah, God fundamentally is a God of compassion. And so, again, I'm so pleased. My, my son, oh, he's a success because he, he knows this good God. He's discovered this God. Next one. Going to go a bit faster. So, so and when I think about God, it's like, oh, he's a loving father, and I'm connected to him. I just want to know my kids. You know, I'm, I've got an eight-year-old granddaughter, so they're in Christchurch. So I'm driving back after lunch, and then I get, I get to hang out with my granddaughter for a couple of hours, go, probably go take her out for afternoon tea, and then leave, have a hug, and then leave. It's like that's what a loving father or grandfather wants to do. He just wants connection. Like, could you actually believe God's like that? He's like waiting. He's waiting to just connect because he's for you. But then the second thing is, in this thing, it's, that's our connection with God, but like this is our connection with each other. And, and according to this, it's marked by joyful celebration. See, again, I remember, so I love connecting one-on-one -on -one with my kids or my grandkid, granddaughter. Um, but I remember a couple of years ago, we had a Christmas in our home and our kids, because our kids live in different places, they're all together in the lounge. My wife and I are in the kitchen and preparing Christmas lunch, and I heard my kids laughing together, and I was surprised how it touched my heart. It's like, oh, it's one thing that I connect with my kids. It's another thing when I see they enjoying each other's company. And I realized, oh, God's like that too. He likes seeing us enjoying relationship. He likes seeing us getting on. Another mark of success. Um, there's nothing worse. The Bible talks about how terrible it is when relationships are all clunky and grating. And it's like the other mark of success is we just have relationships marked by joy and peace in our life. It's like that's success. Man, if we love each other, we care for each other, that's success. I'm connected with God, and we're connected with each other. Let me show you this, and this thing, well anticipated. So the point, their main criticism actually was Jesus. He welcomes and he eats with them. Jesus, you keep having parties and enjoying company with people we don't think you should. And it, it annoys religious people. They don't like seeing people have fun because they're miserable, and you should be miserable too. My life is all about slaving away and never disobeying, and I don't like people having fun together. But, but actually, this becomes the theme of the whole, this whole chapter. Next one. So uh, the language, when the guy finds the lost sheep. 
He calls his friends and neighbors together and says, come on, rejoice with me. Next one, exactly the same language, the woman with the coin. She calls her friends and neighbors together and rejoices with me. The theme of this chapter is actually, come on, have a party together. Enjoy relationship. Have fun together. Enjoy family. Enjoy friends. And then the prodigal, it's like this is what the father said, let's have a feast and celebrate. Like we should have more parties together. We should have fun together. We should just enjoy relationship together. It's all about relationship. Uh, it says this about the elder brother. When he came near the house, he heard the sound of music and dancing. I love this. There's a sound to the house of God. It's the sound of music and dancing. It's the sound of people enjoying each other's company. It's the sound of people having fun together. Because we're a family. And, the, and dad is in heaven to have a big smile on his face because his kids are enjoying being together. It's like, oh, if he's a good father, he likes intimate connection with us one-on-one, but he loves us having fun together. You know, um, next one, he, and he said, we had to celebrate. See, if there's any sense, I love that you're going to a series on praise. If there's any sense of obligation, it's a, we've got to have fun. We've got to celebrate. We've got to have more parties. We've got to learn to praise and enjoy each other. Because, like, this is family. This is representing God. Um, next one. He um, next one. There's a um, there's a couple of verses between the first and second parables you might know. I tell you in the same way there'll be rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents. Okay, so there's actually a party going on in heaven. They're having fun. Then the next one he takes it to the next level. I tell you there's a rejoicing in the presence of the angels. Some people are like, oh yeah, when a sinner repents, the angels rejoice. It it doesn't actually say that. Well, it's kind of ambiguous. It says. There's rejoicing in the presence. Who's in the presence? The third parable answers it. Next one. The father says, the joy, because dad says, come on, we've got to have a party. The angels are like, yep, we're up for this. And they start celebrating. But the, but the joy comes from God. And, you know, this is Jesus' ultimate defense. I only, see what I, see the, I only do what I see the father doing. Oh, I actually, again, the good, good father, I believe in intimacy and worship, but I also believe he loves us, he loves throwing parties where we have fun together. So it's like, oh, what's a mark of success? Just a bit of joy in our homes. Just a bit of joy in our relationships. Just a bit of life. You can have all the money in the world and be miserable and your kids hate you and your marriage is... It's like, no, no, just some relationships working. That's success. That's a win. Like that, that, that's good. And like God's like, yeah, because I'm a good father. I love seeing you just enjoying each other. The next one. Yeah, again, the opposite, the older brother. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate. So again, over here, life is all about I slave and I disobey and I never have any fun in life and I'm miserable. And it's like, you don't want to live like that. You don't want to live where you're just resentful. Everyone else is having fun, but I'm doing the religion thing. I actually hate it. And it's not much fun, but I, I feel like I need to do it. Which leads to the next one. Which, so it's like, oh, if God's a good father, he wants intimate connection with us. He wants joyful celebration with each other. But, but how do you think about the people who aren't part of us? We're, well, according to this, actually preoccupied with the lost. What, what do I mean by that? Next one. This, this is the, so again, the context the Pharisees don't like Jesus hanging out with bad people. I don't know if you know. So religious people over here, they don't feel connected with God. They just feel like they've got this duty. 
They're not having any fun in life, but they look down on everyone else. Well, those terrible people in Timaru who aren't at church this morning, evil, at least I'm, I'm miserable, but at least I'm doing the right thing. Like coming to church and, and look down on everyone else. And, and Jesus, contra, next one, and the, he, this is where he introduced this idea of being lost. And we often talk about people who are lost and like as if that's a condemnation that their lives are terrible. It's actually from this chapter, lostness is not about, it's not a comment on how your life is going. Lostness is a comment on the heart of the owner who has lost relationship with someone. So it's like, the, the, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses. Maybe the sheep's quite happy. Maybe he's found a nice little lay or, you know, stream and some nice grass. The shepherd's going, I've lost something of mine. Or maybe the sheep is in danger. It's irrelevant. The point is, the owner's heart goes, I've lost something. Next one, um, again, the woman loses one of the coins. It's probably just fallen under the bed. Just sitting there, it's not. Not got a problem, but the owner's like, Oh my god, I've lost something that's precious to me. It's like a change of mindset. And then the third one, the prodigal son, it's like, Again, oh, my son was lost. Yeah, he was lost. One of my kids was lost. Could have been just having for a while, he was having a great time. For a while, he was miserable. Both times, he was lost to the Father. Lostness is a commentary, and, and it's an understanding, oh, this is how God thinks about things. Next one. There's a commentary on this chapter. A Bible commentary says this, the section defends and commends preoccupation with the lost. Jesus is defending it. This is why I'm focused on these people, because I'm reflecting the heart of a Father. But it also commends it, and you should be doing the same. And it and, and talks about this, overflowing joy at their restoration. We all respond this way with what is our own, and this attitude responds to the concerns of a father's heart for his own children, each of whom is singularly precious in his sight. Um, just pick up that. Like, we've got three young adult children. We have great relationships with them all. We're going really well with them. But we had some dark years with the middle one. It's always the middle one, eh? And... Uh, um, uh, is my daughter Kate. So she was really close to her growing up, and then it's like about age 12, someone threw the switch, and suddenly we became the enemy. And kind of the next three years kind of went steadily downhill till um, two weeks before her 16th birthday, she actually ran away from home. So again, going into her bedroom at midnight, seeing the window open, and she's gone. So I've got three kids. I love them all. Two of them are tucked up in bed. One of them, I don't know where she is. Who am I preoccupied with? The father's preoccupied with the kid that's lost to them. She might have been having a great time at a party. She might have been in danger. Either way, she's lost. And, and kind of that, actually, that's the heart of God for people who aren't part of his family yet. He's actually preoccupied with them. I just want them back in the family. We're like, oh, yeah, we're the nice religious people. He likes us. He doesn't like them. No, no, he's actually preoccupied with those kids who are not part of his family because you're tucked up safely in church, but they are lost to him. You know, we, we kind of established some contact with our daughter, but she didn't come home, and, you know, for two years she didn't live with us, and then one, one day I came home, and my wife said, oh, Kate, uh, there's a, Kate has sent us a letter. You need to read it. And read the letter. She just said, oh, I'm pregnant. I don't know what to do. And um, started to text 
write this big text of advice. And then I just about to push the send button and I just felt God say, just tell her that you love her. So I was like, delete, 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 delete. I just go, okay, just want you to know that I love you. Text. Say, just come home, we'll look after you. And it's like, that's where I learned what, what the Bible says God's like, just come home. Who cares? Just come home. Man, there'll be a lot of issues to sort out, but just come home. And I remember the first night that she's home, her bedroom is through the wall of our bedroom, and going off to bed at night going, man, my 18-year-old daughter's on the other side of this wall, she's pregnant, I don't know what, we, there's a whole lot of stuff to sort out, but it's like, but she's home, and now we can look after her. And it's like, do you dare to believe that God is a good, good father who just wants his kids home? Who can, he can deal with anything, he just wants the kids home. Because we can sort anything. We can sort. We can work through anything. If just come home. Um, so um, flick up the next one. So this is my daughter with our granddaughter now. So we they lived with us for three years, and so I think she's beautiful. I think, and and again to come. So from she just came home. Um, next one. This is them when they're a lot younger. Um, and next one. This is them a bit more recently. But it's like. Can you that, to know the father's heart just wants the kids home and delights to see them again succeeding and things going well. And, and it's like, do you actually dare to believe that God's heart for Timaru is he just would love to see his other kids come home? He'd just love to see them come back and have a big family party where everyone's enjoying life and that, that they're succeeding and doing well. Because he does, which kind of leads to the next one, next one, which is normally when you talk about church, you talk about upward with worship, inward with fellowship, outward with mission. But there's actually a fourth thing in this chapter, um, which is if you go to the next one. So when we read this, we go, oh, this is the gospel. Man, God is this amazing God. He just throws his arms around us and kisses us. But actually, and we kind of can almost like, man, that's incredible. But I want to tell you, there's an even greater step to this parable, which is this next one. The father said to him, quick, bring the best robe and put it on and put a ring on his fingers and sandals on his feet. And do you know what? I reckon that for, particularly for us who are Kiwis, pretty much that's water off a duck's back. Like, we can wrestle with the first part. Oh, could I believe God's a God of compassion? Could I believe he runs to, he throws his, he, like, could I believe in a God like that? We, this is so out of our paradigm. We don't even hear it. That God would want to do something for you. Because, yeah, like, flick up the next one. If you think about it, the son, so he, severe famine, goes away. This is a Jewish guy, hires himself out to a citizen of that country, so he feels already unclean. What happens? Who then sent him to feed the pigs. It's like every decision he makes, it's getting worse. So young Jewish, it's like, I don't know if you like, make this decision, and then it just gets bad, so I try and fix it, and I make it, and it just gets worse. And it's like, his life is getting terrible, you know, and then he, he longed to feed his stomach with the pod. So the whole chapter is about eating, and he's like, he's so miserable, he just wants to hang out and have a party with the pigs. You go, you can't get much worse than that if you're a young Jewish boy, except for this, knowing even the pigs don't like him. Even they won't share. Like, you can't, life can't get in a deeper hole than this. Like, feel 
failure, dirty, guilty, ashamed, dumb, like whatever. And then this is what he does. Next one, he kind of goes, when he came to his senses, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And he, so he comes up, I don't know if you've ever done anything wrong, he comes up with a speech of what he's going to say, three things. I've sinned against heaven and against earth, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, make me like one of your hired servants. See, this is as much as religion can aspire to. It's like, if the people in Equippers Timaru really knew what I was like, they would know I don't really fit here. We say that to it. Like, I can hang around the edges, but I'll never really belong. Like they are the kids, but I'll be like the hired servant, but I'll never really belong here. And, and it's like, and, and, and then the next one, when he, when he comes back, so he's got this three-sentence speech he's going to make. And if you notice, the father lets him say the first two, but then he interrupts him before the third one. So, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. Yep, that's true, you have. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Yep, actually, yep, that's actually true. Make me like one of your hired servants. Father won't let him say that. He, this is what I reckon. I reckon the first two are the truth about his situation. The third line would have been a lie about the father. The father's like, I'm not taking you back as a hired servant. Like, that would be weird, eh? Like a big mansion and there's a servant's quarters and visitors come and they go, oh, I saw the lights are on out and saw some. Who's that out there? I was like, oh, that's the son we don't really talk about. You know, we, we let him hang around, but he doesn't, we don't let him in. Like, we don't treat him like a real son. We just keep him out there. And, and like, that's as much as religion can aspire to. Like, maybe you'll hang around church because you know this is what you should have been, but you know that you stuffed up, so you know you'll never really fit here. And God's like, no, no, when I take you back, I take you back with full rights. As a son or daughter of God, when I take you back, you belong again. I was saying, like, you know, it's all, I don't know if this is right or wrong, but talking about with my wife, we've never actually talked with our daughter about those dark years. We just, she's just back in the family, succeeding, we're for her, we're championing her. It's like, you're back as our daughter. We could have like, do you realize how much damage you caused? Do you realize how much grief? Do you realize how much you broke our hearts? It's like, no, no, you're back as our daughter, and we're for you. Um, next one. Uh, you know, and so this, this is his response. Quick, bring the best robe and put it on and put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet, bring the fattened calf and kill it. So get this. So a couple of days ago, he's in a pig pen. Dirty, ashamed, failure. Next day, Nick minute, <laughs> looking, I'm wearing the best clothes. I got this big ring on my finger, which is like the credit card signet ring. I got sandals on my feet and there's a party being thrown in my honor. Like, how does that work? Like, that's the, that's the mind-blowing part of this parable, actually. When God brings you back, it's not just like, throw my arms around you and kiss you. It's like, put the best on you, throw a party in your honor. You are now the celebrated child. It's like, that's the scandalous part of the gospel. Uh, next one. Uh, and people are like, what was going on with the whole robe and ring and stuff? Some people go back to Genesis 37. You know, Joseph... Uh, Israel loved Joseph more, uh, he made him an ornate robe, it's kind of a symbol of love, a symbol of dignity, a sim symbol of value. Next one, when, when Joseph was, became with the Potiphar, you know, the Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger and put it on his, Joseph's finger, dressed him in the robes of fine linen, put a gold chain around his neck, it's like, man, this is this whole, it's like, man, 
dignity, value, love, honor. It's like this is what God's doing when we come to him, pouring all this stuff into us. And then uh, next one, um, you know, or even with Jesus, a voice came from heaven, you're my son whom I love with you, I'm well pleased. So it's like all of this kind of stuff is going on. You're important. I love you. Let me shower you with dignity. Let me shower you with honor. Let me shower you with value. Like This is what happens when you come back. Like religion says, oh, no, I'll just be the hired servant. God says, no, no, when you come back, I just pour all this good stuff on your life. But commentators actually go to this other passage to say what was really going on. Next one, Esther chapter 6. If you know the story, there's this bad guy, Haman, who's tried to kill the Jews, and the king wants to honor this other guy, and Haman thinks it's him. So he's, the king asks him, what should be done for the person the king delights to honor? He thought to himself, who is there the king would rather honor than me? So he said, for the person the king delights to honor, have them bring a royal robe the king has worn and a horse the king has ridden, one with a royal crest. Let the robe and the horse be entrusted to one of the king's most noble princes. Let them, let them robe the person the king delights to honor and lead him on the horse through the city streets, proclaiming before him, this is what is done for the person the king delights to honor. I've highlighted a phrase that happens four times. The person the king delights to honor. See, we think, oh, how do we magnify God by putting ourselves down? Oh, I'm just a worm. I'm just a failure. No, no. The king delights to honor people. How much more if it's one of his kids? I love seeing my daughter look successful and flourishing and beautiful and achieving in life. It delights me to see her honored. How could I think that God's not that good? That the person, that God loved, delights to honor you. That God delights to see you succeeding. That God delights to see you shining. Like for us, like this is mind-blowing for Kiwis. Because we're not very good at this kind of thing. Um, next one. So for her, I think for, to, for me, there's nothing more than I love to see my son succeeding in life, having a great job, having a mission, marrying a beautiful young woman, just, just doing life well, happy. Like, how could we not think God is that good? That he delights to see that kind of thing. Next one. Um, and, and to see from going from this to this is for me it's like, yes. And that's why I believe God's, like, God's heart is like, Yes, for you to move towards success. Yes, for you to move towards flourishing. Yes, for you to be moving towards connection with God. Great relationships. Just sense of purpose and value. That God is actually for you. Next one. Um, so some of you might have seen this before. I often talk about this. You know, for us Kiwis, we struggle with this. So this is Edmund Hillary, our hero. He's like, oh, yeah, I just climbed the biggest mountain in the world. Now I'll go back to looking after bees in Pukekohe. We're, we're kind of this understated hero kind of thing. If, you, if you're into cricket after the, after the World Cup competition, it was like, oh, yeah, Kane Williamson. He's like the archetypal New Zealander, the understated quiet hero. And that's good. There's a really lovely side to that, but there's also a dark side to it, part of Kiwi culture. So it's like, seriously, who has a national color of black? <laughs> like, we're not actually very good at shining. And if you pick an animal as a symbol, you pick a lion or a gazelle or an eagle, you don't pick this kind of 
semi-blind, flightless thing that lives in the holes in the ground and lives on grubs and lives amongst leaf litter. Like, what is that about? Like, next one, we like to pretend that Kiwis are like this, like beautiful and stuff. But next one, actually, next one, actually, it's more like this. What that means is, so the, the, every culture has good, the good part of Kiwi culture, just humble, just do the work. Bad side of Kiwi culture, we struggle to know a God who honors us. We struggle to know a God whose delight is to honor you. His delight is to come up to Dave and Mayer and say, Dave, I pronounce success over you. I'm so delighted that you're succeeding. Connection with God, great family relationships, doing well in ministry, just feeling good about yourselves. God's like, I pronounce success on your life. And it's like, do you know that God? Next one. Just about finished. And so this is the part that for I reckon for us is the challenge. Well anticipated too. Um, bring the best robe and put it on and put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Bring the fat and calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. Um, can I invite you to stand? Was there another one? I can't remember. What's the next slide? Yeah. So this, this is faith that reflects the character of God. For me, and let me go back to the theme. You got this? You're successful. Just let that. You got this? Life is a success. I know God loves me. I'm enjoying family and friends. I've got a sense of purpose and mission in life of where we're going. And I feel good about myself. I, I just have a sense of dignity. That's success. Just, keep, just let that say, that's success. If your family loves each other, if you feel God's presence, you have a sense of purpose and mission, and you just feel good about who you are and where life's going, your life's a success. You know, I, I, you know, I, all of us have, life hasn't always been there, though I walk through the valley. Though I walk through the valley of Baca, we've all walked through some years when it wasn't like that. You know, and I just feel, just to finish, would love to just, God's a God of comfort. If, if you're not there yet, you know, there were years when my son's life wasn't a success. It was hard work. This year, this is, our family wasn't a success. It was hard work. It hurt. We were lost. All of us have had those times. And, you know, part of being a church family is just to stand with each other. It says, rejoice with those who are rejoicing, weep with those who are weeping. You know, I just feel this morning God would just want to comfort those who go, man, I, I'm not there yet in one of these. And we're like, man, we just want to stand with you because we have seen in our lives, if it's not there yet, it's not over this is where he's taking us when he pronounces on our lives success and you say thank you God that I got to live in this so um, maybe I can get the I don't know, is the whole music the whole or the, or the music people around can we sing that good good father song again is that alright and um, I don't know how you connect with God this is a great church 
man, you got some of the gun leaders. Like, I'm like, yeah, yeah, come and get rid of you. Um, but um, what a great environment. Man, and that whole lot of other people could come and experience the intimacy of God, the joy of fellowship, find their place and just find, you know, and I sometimes, if I said all that stuff about, I said New Zealand, just take that to the next level if you grow up in small town New Zealand, provincial New Zealand. You're special. God wants you to shine. God wants you to thrive. I grew up in New Plymouth. Dad in and out of prison, solo mom, growing up the worst state housing street and the worst state housing suburb in New Plymouth. It's been a lifelong journey to know God wants me to shine. I, I don't have to know you to know if you grew up here, that's a battle for you. And so this morning, if you'd like us to pray with you around a shift and you're just like, God, to stand in some comfort because there's one of those areas you're not there yet. As we sing, can I invite you just because we're family, come out of the front and come down the front. Some of the leaders would love to just gather. And we just want to pray for God's comfort and strength. Like, if you're not there yet, man, we're going to stand with you till you get there. And one day, as I said, as I feel prophetically to announce over David, man, life's a success. You're a success. That that's going to happen to you one day as well. It's like, man, if you're like, man, I need that this morning. I want to go home knowing that's where I'm headed towards. I'm not there yet, but I'm headed there. As we sing this, can I invite you to come out the front? We'd love to pray with you. Thanks, ladies and men.